0: for this series is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I think that's up there somewhere. Uh, Paul says in Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And one of the things that we've emphasized in this series is that Paul wasn't writing this to show off. He wasn't writing this to a group of people saying, oh, guess what? I'm just this elite spiritual giant He was writing this as a personal testimony that God had done such a significant work in him that he was saying the old Paul, the old ways of thinking, the old ways of doing things were dead and now Jesus was alive in him and he was living differently. And so that's the overarching theme. And so these disciplines, and the next slide will show you, we're gonna, uh, over the next few months, we're walking through the, the 12 spiritual disciplines. Last week we talked about meditation and I would just encourage you uh, if you if you want to track with this series, like listen to each week, even if you miss a week, uh, go back and listen, but apply what we're talking about because the stuff we're addressing in this series, if you don't apply it to your life, it will have no impact uh, on you at all. Uh, last week, meditation. We talked about how meditation from a Christian perspective isn't just getting to this place where you empty your mind. It's actually getting to a place where your mind is filled with thoughts, and truths about God. And when your mind is filled with the truths and thoughts of who God is, it changes the decisions you make, the, the way you do things. And so that's kind of just a brief one on meditation. And then prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. I'm going uh, to invite Jesse to play softly on the piano. And, and Justin led us through a prayer. And I'm going to lead us through a prayer as well. Because I, I think that as we practice these disciplines, it's not... Like knowing about them doesn't have a whole lot of impact on your life if you don't do it. And so it's easy to come to church like this and hear a sermon and, and maybe to distance yourself from, your hearing, from what you're hearing and say, well, that guy or that person, that girl that's preaching is, you know, they're, they're elite, they're above me. And, and so that's nice that they can do that or talk about that, but I could never engage with that. And it would grieve my heart deeply if, if that's what happened as we talk about these spiritual disciplines. If you go away from a Sunday and you maybe have more knowledge about prayer, but you're not engaging with it, that would be like a total missing of the mark. My, my hope is that as a community, we'll actually put these things into practice and it'll have an impact on our relationship with God. God wants to engage with us. He wants this relationship uh, between us and him to be a real one that carries and spills over after a Sunday into our everyday life, and so we're just gonna. Uh, and I have a, I have one of these for everybody here. I got them printed, uh, and thanks to I don't know if Megan is up here. Um, she is. Megan um, designed these, and these are just a five-step prayer, one in the morning and one in the evening. One on there's a back and front, and it's just a really simple way just to to engage with God. And so I've got one of these on the way out. Um, that might slow us down as I'm shaking people's hands, but. I'm going to give one to to anybody who wants one. But Jesse's just going to play softly. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. And I'm just going to walk us through a five-step prayer uh, slash meditation. So as we sit here in silence and we listen to the piano being played, I just want to encourage you to become aware of God's presence. Become aware that God is with us right now Now the second prayer prompt has to do with gratitude Just take a few moments And thank God for something or someone in your life. Maybe you don't feel thankful, but I want to encourage you to intentionally thank God for something or someone in your life. Praise Him for one of His attributes, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, compassion. Just take a moment and express gratitude to God. Now take a moment and become aware of your emotions. How are you feeling? Is there tension in your body? What do you feel about what you've been reading in Scripture? What do you feel when you think about your relationship with God? Is there tension in your body due to a relationship that you are struggling with? Talk to God about what you're feeling. take a moment to pray about your day. What will you be doing after you leave this service? Who will you be meeting with? What kinds of things are on your schedule? Invite God into this moment and the rest of your day. And finally, invite the Holy Spirit to be with you today and to fill you. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to pray kind of separately but corporately together as a community. And as we talk about prayer, I pray that we wouldn't just talk about it in a way that we come away from this with more knowledge about prayer, but I pray that we would come away knowing that we've been invited by you into a deeper and more profound relationship. And I do pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that there would be evidence of your Holy Spirit at work in and around us. We look to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. So it's quite fitting. I wanted to start our time together with prayer. And uh, I'll bring these up at the end. There's an evening version of what we did, and it's kind of similar with a a few differences. But if prayer is not something that comes naturally to you, I want to encourage you to engage with it. Like, don't worry about whether you're doing it right. Don't whether, worry about whether you're doing it as good as maybe the people that you've looked at and thought, oh, they're professionals. Uh, the point of prayer is to be in conversation with God. And I hope you know this in your real lives. Do you know that prayer, or not prayer, but conversations are supposed to be two way? Have you ever been around somebody that the conversation is only one way? Everybody? <laughs> Maybe if you haven't been, you might be that person, okay? <laughs> you may be the one that just dominates all the time, okay, if you don't know that, okay? So um, we've probably been around people where we are talking to them and we're thinking, Do you, don't you know that this is supposed to be a two-way thing? Like there's supposed to be like ebb and flow, give and take, I say something, you say something, okay? Prayer is designed to be two-way, and, and you'll see that in Scripture. We're going to read... Several scriptures today that have to do with prayer. And I hope that as we look at prayer, you're encouraged. Because when we read some of the scriptures about prayer and we talk about prayer, all of us at some point are going to feel a little bit like a novice. We're all going to feel like, oh my goodness, I'm nowhere near where I should be or where these people in scripture are. But there's also examples in scripture of people that are just like you and I that don't feel super confident in their prayer time with God. And they're invited into relationship, and all of us are. Uh, And I just want to, before I read the the passage of Scripture, you might be wondering what this is up here, okay? Be careful with this, because these, these, if they start to snap, they'll all fall off. So these are clothespins. There's one. Uh, And they have your names on them, okay? So I was, uh, as most of you know if you've been around for a while, I'm I'm finishing up uh, a master's degree in Christian ministry, and one of the requirements to do this master's study is we have to do a spiritual formation component the whole time that we're doing studies as students. And so this fall, uh, we went through the spiritual disciplines. And I was really convicted and impacted when we got to the, the part of the spiritual disciplines where we talked about prayer. And uh, I nine years ago, when I was working at Kingswood University, I was the resident director and under me, there was, uh, there was three guys that served as chaplains. And so they, they all served on a, a floor of the, the residences. And they were responsible to just be kind of like pastors on their floor, praying for their fellow classmates. And one of these chaplains, a uh, young guy named John, he was really intentional when it came to prayer. And uh, he wrote, everybody on his floor, he wrote their name on a clothespin, and he clipped it to the to the back door in his dorm room, and he would take clothespins, and he would just carry them around, and he would pray for people during the day. Well, I went into his room one day and saw this prayer strategy, and I was like, John, that's, that's brilliant, and it stuck with me for these nine years, but I never did anything with it, uh, and then this fall, we were, we were reading about prayer, and I was thinking about my role as a pastor, and John's... Um, Prayer strategy came to mind, and I started thinking about each one of you who comes to to church on a, on a Sunday morning or you 're connected with tc and i 'll just confess to you as a pastor, sometimes the, like when us, when I start praying for you as a congregation or people, it, it just gets overwhelming I have all everybody 's face comes to mind at once, and I, i'm like who do I pray for, and how do I you know figure this out um, kind of who to focus on and when and and this prayer strategy came back to me and the, uh, the project we had to do in our spiritual formation class, we were invited by our professor to end the semester with an actual project. And so I, I was tempted between two projects, okay? So one of the projects I could have done was to design a whole sermon series on the spiritual disciplines, which I was leaning towards because I was thinking, okay, you know, like life is busy, I've got six kids, I'm a full-time pastor, I'm trying to finish up this master's degree. If I if I do my final project on a sermon series, that'll like get me a good grade and it'll help me coming into 2024. But this project of writing everybody's names on a clothespin and like, you know, I'm not super artistic. So maybe you look at this and you're like, this looks like a six-year-old's art class, right? But, <laughs> but this, uh, this came to mind and I was like, I just felt like the Lord was convicting me to actually do this so that I'd be more intentional about praying for you. And then I had this really convicting thought come to mind and I and I felt like it was the Lord asking me this question. Nathan, what what's gonna be more effective long term? You writing out a sermon series, and and then maybe it was my own voice, but I'm like, I don't think people really remember my sermons a whole lot past maybe like they leave on a Sunday and life is busy, right? And so, you know, as a preacher you kind of hope that people remember and it has an impact, but like in reality it's not like everybody remembers all this stuff. But I felt like the Lord was saying, what's gonna have more of an impact? Planning out a sermon series or making a strategy to actually pray for people by name? And it was one of those questions when the Lord asks, you're like, okay, Lord, I know the, I know, I know the right answer, right? <laughs> so, so I went to um, Michael's and got clothespins and this metal thing, and your names are written on here, and uh, you're being prayed for. And I'm not putting this up here to show off. Um, you're gonna see as we work through this, I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself this great prayer warrior. Prayer is an area that I feel like I'm, I'm not nowhere near where I could be, um, but I was really convicted to actually take a step this fall and do something that's been on my heart for a long time that was practical. And the reason I wanted to show it was, um, I hope it's encouraging to you that you're being prayed for, but I, what I, what I want to encourage you with is to take some sort of tangible step in your prayer life, like something... Real, something that's not just you went away and you learned something, you got a nugget of information in your head, but where you actually take an, a real tangible step in your prayer time and, and that you engage with it on a regular basis. And so I want to encourage you with that. I'm going to uh, come back to this at the end just very briefly. Uh, and if your name isn't on here, uh, if you come up looking afterwards, there's, there's another ring in my office too. I didn't bring them both out, so don't feel rejected, okay? Okay. So we're going to go to Exodus uh, chapter 32, and I'm going to read verses 9 to 14, and this is kind of, this is a high point in the Scriptures uh, as far as what prayer looks like. And so you're going to read this with me today and probably feel uh, maybe a bit insecure. Okay, we're going to read about Moses in this incredible prayer time he has with God, and, and reading this is probably going to be kind of a wake-up call of like, wow, I don't think my prayer life looks like that. And I just want to say from the outset, that's how I feel when I study Moses' prayer life, okay? And so uh, that's okay, and, and uh, I don't want you to be discouraged, um, but rather encouraged to engage uh, with God in prayer. So we're going we're gonna to start out at one of the high points. Exodus chapter 32, verse 9 to 14. This is a, uh, at a time when God is really angry with the people of Israel, And Moses is having a conversation with him about it. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. It's quite a picture that Moses, he's having this conversation with God who's expressing anger at the people of Israel. And the scriptures say Moses is trying to pacify the anger of God. In the Hebrew, it talks about Moses like softening the wrinkles on Jehovah's face, okay? Like he's having this incredible interaction with God. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say, Their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth. Turn away from your fierce anger. Listen to Moses' words here. He says to God, to the creator of the universe, he says, change your mind about this terrible disaster that you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land and I have promised that uh, that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So listen to verse 14. This is the result of Moses' prayer. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. So Moses goes to God. God is angry with the people for their rebellion, for their wickedness, right? Which we've all engaged in. We've all done things that are deserving of that. And, and Moses has this conversation, and God is saying to Moses, I'm angry with the people for their rebellion, for the way they've turned against me. I've spoken clearly. They've rejected me. I'm just going gonna, gonna to destroy them all. And Moses is advocating for the people of Israel, and his advocacy to God Almighty has such an impact that the Scriptures say that God changed his mind about what he was going to do that's a huge theological discussion. We're not going to get into the, the, the huge theological discussion about that statement about God changing His mind. But one thing that, that I think everybody that takes the Scriptures seriously would agree on is that there are people who when they pray, it actually has an impact. Like something changes. Something happens as a result of prayer. Now, I want to confess to you, this is, I've been thinking about prayer this week because I was getting ready for this message, and I was thinking about all the times that I've prayed, and I've heard people say to me, and this has happened even recently, I'll, I'll pray a prayer, either praying over somebody or praying in a group, and people will say to me, Nathan, that was a really good prayer. Like you said, your, your words were really good, um, it was powerful or whatever, and I was thinking about it this week. And I was like super convicted because I do struggle in my prayer life. When, it, when it's just me and God, I find it more challenging to pray. Like it's, it's, it's harder to, to engage. It's harder to feel like I'm having this, this deep and profound connection with God. Sometimes when I'm by myself whereas in a room of people or praying over somebody, it's a little bit easier. And I, the reason I felt convicted was because I realized like I'm a, I'm a pastor. What I do is very public. And I've gotten used to being able to say things to people. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with my words as far as how I talk to people. And this conviction I felt was I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Nathan, you know, sometimes the reason your prayers sound good is because you've learned to talk to people. But it's more important to learn to talk to me. Like there's a difference. So Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in, in the New Testament because he's like, you know, your prayers, they sound really good to people. You have all these big words and you sound pious and you sound like you know what you're talking about. But your, your prayers aren't getting anywhere. Because all you've done is, is you've used these, these big words and you've made people think that you're this good prayer, but you're not connecting with God. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for that. This week, getting ready to preach this message, I was just aware of that, where I'm like, sometimes, as somebody who's public and I'm used to saying things in front of people, it's easy to pray in the context of other people and to sound good, even if in my own heart between me and God, there's a disconnect. And so prayer... What God desires in prayer is for us to be able to to connect with him for real, okay? That's that's the desire. So uh, a prayer that God sees and recognizes is different than what you and I see and recognize. You know, it's interesting. We live in a time where all kinds of high-profile leaders are being exposed for all kinds of, you know, horrible things. And people are really, their faith is being shaken because of it. And it's interesting because some of these people I've looked up to in ministry, and I've thought, man, what, what a prayer warrior. What a powerful preacher. And I've just been impressed by their ministry or their ability to pray or communicate. But God was never fooled. You know, when someone's a fraud, God's never fooled like we are. God is not impressed by the things that you and I are impressed by. You realize that? Like there's certain things that we get impressed by, we think somebody's this elite person or they're super gifted or talented, an amazing spiritual person, spiritual warrior, and and we have all these reasons why we think that. But if the person is really a fraud, God's not impressed and he sees right through it. Most of the times when God was angry, when Jesus was rebuking people in the New Testament, it was the religious elites, the people that looked spiritual on the outside, but inside they were far from God because God sees through all of those things. You know, the, the people that in the New Testament that were broken and came to, to Jesus, like, you know, from all kinds of sinful lives, they used experienced experience, the grace of God, were invited into a relationship with him that was real and tangible. But the ones that were, like, had the exteriors all figured out, but inside were falling apart, they were the ones that got rebuked. And that's a convicting thing, especially being somebody who's in ministry. And this, this message, this, uh, the content of this is, is really convicting. And the desire of my heart is just that I would have this relationship with God that He would say is real, not that it doesn't matter what other people think of it, but that God would recognize it and say, "That's my son." My desire for you is that God would, would see you in your relationship with Him and say, "There's my daughter. There's my son." And so uh, this will be on the slide. There's three aspects of prayer I want to cover. okay? And then we're going to do just a, an ex- we're going to end with an exercise. But there's the pinnacle of prayer, the struggle of prayer, and the journey. Of prayer. So the, the pinnacle of prayer is what I just read. So Moses so so in this, okay, so just keep this, this in your mind. There's the pinnacle, the struggle, and the journey. When there's there's times in scripture you're gonna read about prayer and you're gonna read about people's relationship with God. And it's like it's the pinnacle. Moses' relationship with God, what, he, what we saw happen just there in Exodus chapter 32, that's the pinnacle of prayer. Somebody praying with God, and it actually has a real and tangible impact. The prayer is heard, the prayer is answered, and God responds. That's the pinnacle of prayer, okay? That's where we desire as followers of Jesus to get to. Maybe you see the pinnacle of prayer, you see that like answered prayer kind of happening, and you go, man, I'm not experiencing that in my life. Well, that's okay, all right? Because there's also the struggle of prayer, and there's the journey of prayer, and we're invited to start where we are, but I also want to say to you, we're not encouraged to stay there. The desire of God is for us to get to the point in our lives with Him where our prayer life looks like what we see in Moses, the pinnacle of prayer, where you you engage with God and something changes. Something changes in you, something changes outside of you. Your prayers have an impact. That's the desire of God. And if you're not there, don't be discouraged. It's not, God doesn't point this stuff out to make us feel bad. It's to invite us into a deeper and more profound relationship with him. So a pinnacle, I just want to give you a couple examples of the pinnacle of prayer. And maybe you're familiar with these. Uh, but in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 uh, to 46, this is Elijah. And this is an example of the pinnacle of prayer. Elijah, he's this, he's this powerful prophet of God who prays for rain. Then Elijah said to Ahab, and if you want the context of these, i encourage you to go read the whole story. Uh, but Elijah's this prophet. Ahab is this evil king. Elijah speaks on behalf of God. He prays and sees responses. He, see, he sees things happen. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. What you need to know about this is Elijah's life is on the line. Okay, Ahab wants Elijah dead. Ahab's uh, great wife, Jezebel, Okay, <laughs> she also wants Elijah dead. She's, she's evil beyond what Ahab is evil, okay? And, and Elijah is speaking on behalf of God. And if what he says doesn't happen, Elijah is going to be snuffed out. So Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bowed low to the ground, and prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. So this story, they're just coming out of this this famine that had ravaged the land of Israel. People were not eating. Uh, Even the king and his wife were suffering because there wasn't rain. There was no food growing. And Elijah goes, and he prays seven times. He's like, God, please send rain. And he sends his servant to go look. Did the rain come? Servant comes back, says no. So he prays more, sends the rain. Have you ever done that? Like, I don't know about you, but this is like one of the, perfect examples of the pinnacle of prayer. Like, Elijah's got this relationship with God where he prays and then he goes to look and the answer didn't come so he prays again fervently. The answer didn't come so he prays again fervently. The answer didn't come so he prays again fervently until he sees what he's praying for happen. Like that, if, if that's not the pinnacle of prayer, I don't know what is, but he's, he's praying with this confidence that not only God hears him, but God's going to do the thing that he's asking for. In In John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, this is a New Testament uh, example of of what we're talking about, Jesus, he says these words, and these are some of the most challenging words I've heard Jesus say. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's the an example of the pinnacle of prayer. I don't know about you, but I've, I've read that verse a lot, that section of Scripture, and I've gone, I don't think I'm seeing that in my life, right? And so this is the pinnacle. So what we see in Scripture is there's this place that, that you can get to as a follower of Jesus, as a servant of God where you can pray and you can know that God is hearing you and you can be confident that He is going to respond. That's incredible. That's the, that's the pinnacle, okay? That's the high point. A lot of us, we don't get there and we give up and we just become content with where we are and we don't push on, we don't continue to moving forward in faith and we just kind of accept the way things are. But I, would, I believe Scripture is calling us into a deeper place in our relationship with God. The struggle of prayer, okay? So the second... Uh, aspect of prayer. In in Mark chapter 9, you can uh, go there if you're in your Bible, but it'll be up on the screen. This is a story of uh, Jesus healing a boy who was demon-possessed, and it's one of my favorite stories because I find I relate a lot with the disciples in this story. I also relate with the dad in this story. Okay, so what we're going to encounter in this is not it's not the pinnacle of prayer unless you're looking at Jesus, because what he says happens. But the people in the story, the disciples, the father of this boy, they're, in, they're like enveloped in the struggle of prayer. They're where probably some of us are, where we believe in the reality of God, but maybe we're not always seeing answers to prayer. Maybe we're not always aware of the presence of God in a way where we're confident, okay? Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit and he won't, that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, and they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people. Those are are harsh words. You remember, Jesus is incredibly gentle. He had a deep relationship with his disciples. It wasn't like he was sending them off discouraged. But he was calling out this lack of faith in his disciples because he knew he was going to be going to the Father, and he wanted his disciples to go into the world with the same confidence that he has. He says, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us. And then he says, this is the father speaking to Jesus. He says, please have mercy on us if you can. And then in verse 23, Jesus responds, and he calls out the faithlessness of the Father. And he says, what do you mean, if I can? See, people didn't always realize Jesus is God, okay? And Jesus is, he's God in the flesh, and he's talking to this man. And he's not not condemning him in a way to shame him or to shove him down, but he's challenging his faith. He goes, what do you mean, if I can? I'm God. What is there that I can't do, right? What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked? And then he, st- he makes this statement, he says, anything is possible if a person believes. Now listen to the father's response, because this is where I, I relate with this a lot, okay? Verse 24, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've prayed that prayer. Where I'm like, God, no, I, I, yes, I do believe you can set my friend free from addiction." I do believe that you can transform this person's life in marriage. I do believe you can get us through this difficult time, but help my unbelief. Like, it's the struggle of prayer. It's like, yes, I do believe God, I've encountered him, but then we battle with this unbelief. Just like Jesus is calling out the disciples, he's like, you're, you're faithless, where's your faith? Right, he calls them out for it. I don't know about you, but there's been lots of times where I'm like, no God, I, I, I do believe you, I choose to believe you, I've experienced you, but, but help my unbelief. I think the prayer that this father prays in this passage is, is one of the most powerful prayers in Scripture because it's this acknowledgement of like, yes, God, I believe, but I'm, I'm struggling with it. I'm, having a, I'm not at the pinnacle. I think what the father's confessing here is he's like, I'm not at the pinnacle of prayer. I'm not like what Moses and Elijah were doing yet, so help my unbelief. But if he's to continue following Jesus as we are invited to do, our prayer life will increase our ability in prayer. So that's the, the struggle of prayer. And I want to put this, this slide up, um, just some scriptural reasons for why some prayers go unanswered. Sometimes it's a lack of faith, which we see Jesus talking about. Sometimes it's wrong motives. It talks about that in James. James, when he's talking to his group of people that he's pastoring, he says, you know, you pray, you ask God for things, and it doesn't happen because your motives are, are wrong. You know, you're not praying in line with God's will, your motives are selfish or whatever. Sometimes we're, it's, it's just not God's will. And sometimes there's mystery. I, I want to be really careful to point this out. Talking about a, a subject like this, uh, sometimes we're praying for things and they don't happen and it's a mystery. P- the Apostle Paul, I believe he lived a life in the place of pinnacle of prayer. He saw responses to his prayers on a regular basis. But you know that he had this thorn in the flesh that he asked God to take from him and it didn't happen? There's also another uh, time in Paul's ministry. He had a a traveling companion whose name was Trophimus. And I think it's it's either Galatians or Colossians. Paul talks about Trophimus, and he says Trophimus was so sick that he had to leave him behind when he moved on to his next ministry place. That's a really significant thing to point out in the New Testament because when you read the Bible, there's all kinds of times where God heals miraculously, and you see a guy like Paul where he, he sees miracles happen on a regular basis. But there's times in Paul's life where... Why was Trophimus, why was he so sick that Paul couldn't pray and see him healed? We don't know. It's a mystery. So just be careful. When we talk about something like this, I don't want anybody walking away with this condemnation where I'm like, oh, I just don't have enough faith and God's not answering me because of that. Sometimes, there's, sometimes there is a lack of faith. And if there's a lack of faith in your life and you're with Jesus, embrace that. Say, God, what do I need to do to get to this place of more faith, Right? But just realize that sometimes there's mysteries as to why some things don't happen. You may pray for something and not see answers, and you may not know why until you're with Jesus. You know, a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament, these guys prophesied about things that they never saw in their lifetime. Some of the prophets of the Old Testament, they prophesied things that I believe they, they thought they would see in their lifetime, and sometimes it didn't happen for 700 years. And, and they don't get to see the answers why. So just, just know that there are... There are reasons why prayers go unanswered, and sometimes it is sin on our part, sometimes it's a lack of faith, and sometimes it's a mystery. And we need to be in tune with, with God's Holy Spirit and have Him reveal to us uh, why. And then just lastly, the journey of prayer, because my, my my encouragement to us today is to begin the journey. I hope that this message challenges us, not, not to walk away where we feel like we maybe have more of an understanding about prayer, but my hope is, is that, You feel invited by God to engage with him in prayer and to begin the journey. Listen to James' words in in chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. He says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And now listen, he references Elijah who we, we talked about at the beginning. That Elijah was at the pinnacle of prayer. He was seeing incredible answers to big prayers of faith, okay? And he, listen to how he describes Elijah to people that are just like you and I. He says, Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. It's referencing the story we read at the beginning. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So, it's really important that you catch what's going on here. James is talking to people just like you and I, and he talks about Elijah, and he realizes that back then, just like today, these people would have had a tendency to put Elijah up here on this pedestal and be like, yeah, well, he was at the pinnacle of prayer, I can't get there. But James won't allow his people to think that way. He says, Elijah was a man just like me and you. He was just like us. And if he could pray that way with God, we can pray that way with God. That's what he's inviting the people into. And that's what I hope we hear the invitation for today, is that we're being invited into a relationship with the creator of the universe who loves us. So when you think about prayer as a journey, uh, I also want you to think about it as an instrument. And uh, Andrew, you can put this up. Unfortunately, uh, this is not a really good example in my life. When I started out, uh, I think I was in grade one or two, and I went to piano lessons and I literally lasted one day because I realized that I would have to practice piano every day instead of going outside and doing crazy things, and I gave up, okay? Uh, but for anybody here who plays an instrument, I think you'll kind of know the way that I've summarized an instrument. So for, for people that, um, you know, you began your musical journey, there was a point in time where you started to play guitar or trombone or saxophone or whatever, Okay? There's a starting point, and then there's like this period where you're playing and practicing on a regular basis, right? You play, you practice, you play, you practice. I remember my sister, she would play the same songs over and over and over again, and I used to be out in my room, and I was like, oh my goodness, not again, for, for lease or whatever, the, I don't know what that, <laughs> there's like these songs that you learn in the beginning, and I'd hear them over and over and over again. Well, now, when I'm in a worship service and my sister's leading, I'm like, well, it paid off, right? Like, she looks awesome up there, just playing the piano, and it's like... You know, it's all that's paid off. So you go through this season of playing and practicing, and then there's a, I don't know if I have the right word, so maybe if there's a musician in the room that you have a better word for this, you can come and tell me at the end, but you get to this point with with music where you thrive, where it's like the the practicing has paid off, and you just become one with the music. Like, you you start to play, and it just like, it's like it's a, a part of you. Last week, uh, our, I don't know who was playing bass, but they had to leave early, and John just randomly jumped up on bass. I don't even think you were planning to jump up on, yeah, he wasn't planning. Guys like him make me so mad, because I'm like, oh, I guess you just jump up on bass, and just like, oh yeah, no practice or whatever, right? He just gets up and, and plays. He's like, but he's gone through the playing and practicing stage. He, he knows it, and so then to get up, he doesn't have to think about it quite as much, because it's become a part of, of who he is, to just get up and, and play music like that, Right? And prayer is similar there 's this there 's a starting point where you 're fumbling and you 're having a hard time and it 's difficult and it 's challenging and you and then you practice it you take the prayers of, of scripture and you take things like the examine and we 're going to look at breath prayers and you and you put these practices in, in into uh, you, they become habits in your life where you start to pray on a regular basis, and maybe it's, it's challenging and it's a decision that you have to make every day, and, and maybe part of you is like, oh, I don't know, like I've got to pray again and I don't feel like it, but you keep it up and you keep going. And then it's like you cross over, and Elijah and Moses and some of these people in the scriptures that we see as examples, they got to this place where prayer, it was like they moved into this place of thriving where it became a part of who they were. You know, excellent musicians, sometimes they bend the rules a little bit. They do things that they were probably taught not to do in music class, and they start to create their own music, and it's beautiful. You watch a musician that's caught up in music, and they're just lost in it. It's incredible. And the same thing is true in prayer. You get to a point where your relationship with God is so real, where you're just like you're entering into this, this, this conversation with Him. You know He's hearing you you're confident that he's hearing you, and you're confident he's going to do something about it, and you're confident that he loves you. Like, but most of us stop at the praying and uh, practicing phase in our walk with Jesus. We we get to this part where it's like, it just doesn't, it it feels cumbersome and we give up. Or we let life crowd us out and we give up. And my my challenge to us is, is to begin small, okay? We're going to end in a minute with, uh, a couple of practices we can, we can actually do to help us engage with prayer. And then I want to encourage you to put those practices in your life on a regular basis. Just like make this, this decision with this discipline where you're like, God, I want to get to the point where my prayer life with you is, 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 is like a part of who I am. It's, I don't even have to think about it anymore, but I'm with you. I, I, Paul talks about praying without ceasing. Paul got to a point in his life where he just would pray. He didn't even realize he was praying. He was just talking to God in and through his day. You know you can get there, even if you've not gotten there. If prayer's been discouraging for you, it is possible to get to this point in your life where you're you're there, thriving. I just want to give you this this uh, example before we do these practices to end. Uh, the The book I've encouraged us to read um, is is by uh, an author named Richard Foster, and it's The Celebration of Discipline. Some of you bought it, and he walks through the twelve spiritual disciplines. Uh, a couple months ago, I was at a conference, and I, I met somebody that I had known from my childhood, and we didn't realize each other was going to be there, and we got talking and realized that we knew each other from like 30 years ago, and uh, anyway, we got into this big conversation, and somehow I got talking to him about Richard Foster, who's the author of this book, Celebration of Discipline, who who's writes on prayer and all these things, and this guy's name was Scott, and he told me, he said, you know, I, I had a chance a few years ago to meet Richard Foster. And he described this meeting that he had with Richard Foster. And, and I'm, like, we're sitting, in, it's like lunch, okay? So there's tables all around. We're all eating, like, ham sandwiches. And so it's kind of like a chaotic room, and we're having this conversation. And he was describing this encounter he had with Richard Foster, and he started crying. Like, he's got tears running down his face. And I almost started crying because he was emotional, so it made me feel emotional. But he said, Nathan, like, when I met this guy, he was like, there was just this tangible presence of Jesus, like, when he, when he looked me in the eyes, I felt like I, felt like I was deeply loved by God. And I, it was like I was encountering God in this meeting. Like, he said, Richard had this relationship with God that was, you could feel it. It was palpable. It was real. You know, and, and Richard Foster, he's the, the author of the book that we're using as kind of the base for this, this series. But, but he's someone that, he, he doesn't just write about it. He was like he, he's experienced it. He's experienced this relationship with Jesus, that is a reality. And the invitation is for all of us to experience it. If you walk away from any church service and you feel like the pastor or the worship team, they're the professional Christians and you're kind of lower down here, you haven't heard the gospel. Something's been miscommunicated. I'm not any closer to Jesus because I'm a pastor. If anything, I'm probably in more danger in my relationship with Jesus because I have this job that maybe makes me look spiritual. So if anything, I'm, I'm, I, have a t- I could be further away, okay? So when you, when you come to church, like you're not, it's not like it's lower class or second class. Like What we read in the scriptures, this invitation into a relationship with God is for all of us. That's why James said to his people, he's talking about Elijah, and then he says, and Elijah was a man just like you and I. He's not elite. He's not a part of this class of people that's different or separate. We are all invited into this relationship with God. I have no closer connection with God because of a position of pastor than you. The the reason we have a connection with God, the reason we're invited into a relationship is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And he did it for every single person on this planet. When Jesus went to the cross, it was all of us were in his mind and all of us were in his heart and we're all invited into this relationship with him. He didn't come to... Separate people by classes and for some people to be more elite or spiritual than others. He did it because he desires to have relationship with all of his children. We're all invited in. And my encouragement to us as a a community is wherever you are in prayer, pick up and keep going. Uh, I I told you I was going to give you one of these to go out, so I'm not going to go over the examine again. uh, But I asked Sarah, where's Sarah Benchich? She's here. Okay. When Sarah came in, I was like, it's kind of a dangerous question. I said, Do you trust me? She's like, uh, may, uh, Maybe. <laughs> um, I said, Can I use your name? And I didn't tell her why. So um, I just want to pray for Sarah. One of the questions I think that um, a lot of us struggle with is how do you pray for someone? And in the email this week, I sent you six scriptural prayers from the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you didn't write those down, I encourage you to go back. Check that email and write them down. But in those six prayers in Ephesians and Thessalonians and Philippians, Paul prays for his congregation and it gives us an idea of how we should pray for others. And so I just want you to know how I'm praying for you. Okay? Um, So Sarah Benchich was the next name on the on the like little circle thing that I've, I've got here. And so she just she happened to be here today, so it kind of worked out perfectly. So I just want you to have an idea of what I'm praying for for you. And the I'm, I'm, reason I'm showing this to you uh, is because I want to encourage you to put some of these practices um, into practice in your own life. It's not so that you can walk away and be like, oh, Nathan prays. Like, I, I think there's probably quite a few of you in this room that have probably a far richer prayer life than I do. I'm not showing this to show off. It's, it's an invitation like engage with prayer, okay? Uh, But one of the things that we're encouraged to do is pray for each other. And so the next slide, Andrew, let's put it up here, and it's the prayer slide. So when your name comes up, in a general way, sometimes I pray things that are more specific, but generally this is what I'm praying for. Lord, I want to lift up Sarah Benchich to you. I pray for an ever-increasing sense of your presence in Sarah's life. I pray for an increased ability for Sarah to hear your voice, and I pray for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, for Sarah to do your will, in Jesus' name, amen. And so, these six prayers that are from Scripture, Paul prays for people. And so, I just took some of the ideas from that, and I was like, well, what does it mean to pray for, for somebody? Like, what, what do I pray for? I don't want to pray in line with my will, I don't want to pray in line with your will, I, I don't always want, I don't think it's always good for us to get all the things that we want. My, my favorite uh, preacher and author, Tim Keller, he says, you know, the, the worst punishment God gives sometimes is just to give people exactly what they want. Sometimes getting exactly what you want is not a good thing, uh, and you'll find that as you read some of these prayers. And so my, I'm like, God, how do I pray in a way that just points people to you? And so uh, I drew some of these concepts out of uh, Paul's prayers, and I encourage you to do the same. You're praying for your family. Um, pray in line with how the scriptures teach us to pray. And then one more exercise. You can put this last slide up, Andrew. These are called breath prayers. And uh, I'll invite the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you're starting in your journey in prayer, sometimes it's important to just have practices that actually make sense. A breath prayer is, we read it in, in Mark chapter 9 with this father who had a hard time believing. He said, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. A breath prayer is something you can pray as you inhale and as you exhale, okay? So you're like, you're thinking, Lord, I believe, you're, as you're inhaling, help my unbelief. And I just encourage, like, take some of the prayers from Scripture, take some of the things that are close to your heart that you can be repetitive with and just start to pray them on a regular basis throughout your day. One of my other favorite breath prayers is a prayer from the Old Testament. There's this king who he's, he doesn't know how God is going to save the people of Israel. And he's in, he, he's in fear over it. And he says to God, he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a simple breath prayer. You can pray it as you I- inhale and as you exhale. The ones that are up on the, on the screen, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe you're struggling with your sin. Maybe you're struggling with some things in your life that you feel far from God. En- engage with this prayer. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pray that in the morning. Pray that in the afternoon. Pray it in the evening. Maybe, maybe you have a struggle believing you're actually loved. So you, A breath prayer would be, Abba, I belong to you. Maybe it's something you need to do on a regular basis where you're just like breathing in, Abba, I belong to you. Maybe you need to hear it. Maybe you need to say it out loud because you need to be aware of the fact that you belong to God and that the creator of the universe loves you deeply. So pray, Abba, I belong to you. And, and pray it over and over until it becomes a part of your language and, and what you believe. Maybe, you, maybe you're struggling with a sickness. Maybe you're struggling with something you can't overcome. Healer, speak the word and I shall be healed. That's straight out of scripture. Maybe you're praying for somebody that does not know Jesus that's far from you and you're struggling with with that relationship, shepherd, bring home my lost son. It's a breath prayer. As you're breathing in, shepherd, bring home my lost son. If you have to pray it over and over again, pray it over and over again until it becomes a part of your regular language and interaction with God. it can be something you do in the middle of your workday, on your drive. Maybe you're struggling with, with living your life in a way that honors God, so you pray, holy one, keep me true. Maybe at work it's a high-pressure job and you're tempted to do things you shouldn't do on a regular basis or with your friends or you're out at a party or whatever and you're struggling with with doing the right thing. Holy One, keep me true. Engage with God. Another one, Lord, here I am. Just on a regular basis, like maybe you're going through your day and and it it just hits you that you didn't think about God. You go, Lord, here I am. It's a breath prayer. Breath prayer is just as simple as breathing in and breathing out. So again, the reason I'm showing you these things is so that We can engage with God in prayer. This has to be a practical part of our lives if it's going to have any impact. And Jesse's going to, the song's going to close with a couple songs. Um, I went to the Northwind Chapel on Thursday. I wasn't planning to. And then I wasn't even... uh,